Luke chapter number 18. We are continuing our series, Prayer, Unleashing the Power of God in Your Life. And so today we're going to look at what does it mean to pray hard and to pray through? What does that look like when we're praying hard and we're praying through? Cable television tycoon Ted Turner, you may recognize the name. He owns Turner Broadcasting, TNT, TBS, um, the uh, Atlanta Braves. Uh, but he's been quoted as being very critical of fundam fundamentalist Christianity. Back in 1991 at a banquet in Orlando, Florida, um, he made some revealing, some, some very critical revealing remarks um, he was being given an award by the American Humanist Association and, uh, for his work on behalf of the environment. And at that banquet, at that award ceremony, he said this. He goes, I had a strict Christian upbringing and at one time considered even becoming a missionary. I was saved seven or eight times, the newspaper quoted him as saying. But he said, I became disenchanted with Christianity after my sister died. Despite me praying that God would keep her alive, she died, and after that, I gave up on God. I think in regard to our prayer life, probably every one of us maybe not have given up on God, but maybe there's been times in our life where we've given up on prayer. We've given up on seeing some of our prayers answered. Probably more than just a few of us actually have even given up and maybe even stopped praying altogether unless it's something major. You know, some major thing happens, then we start praying again. But just for a normal everyday praying to God, asking for things, we have stopped doing that. We quit praying probably more so because of discouragement and maybe because of doubt, because we, we, we don't feel like God is hearing us. We don't feel like God is listening. We're not seeing things happen. And so deep down, we wonder if, if the prayers that we are praying are really going to make a difference. If, if the little prayers I pray, will they make a difference in this world? And so when we feel that way, when we feel like it doesn't make a difference, when we feel like our prayers aren't being answered, how do we keep going? How do we keep praying even when we feel at that moment like we just need to bail out and stop it all together? Well, that's what Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 18. He's opening with this parable that he's going to talk to his disciples about, and it's concerning a place of prayer but it follows immediately what he talks about in chapter 17 about the second coming of Christ. And so he goes from the second coming of Christ and he immediately goes into this thought of prayer. And, you, and, and the wonder, why would he do that? Well, he's looking at this. He's just giving them some advice and some encouragement and some things about what it will look like when the second coming of Christ takes place. And he knew the dangers that the followers of Jesus Christ would face. He knew that they would be praying for the second coming of Christ and they would get discouraged because it wasn't happening as soon as they had hoped. And so he links his words about the second coming of Christ with this thought on prayer to be watchful and to concerning prayer and to try to tie these two together. So in chapter 18, of verse, we pick up reading in verse number one. It says, Jesus told his disciples a parable. And he did this to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. There was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. And for some time he refused, but 
Finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I think in this text, Jesus gives us some reasons why we need to pray, why we never need to give up on prayer, why we need to pray hard and pray through, continuing in our prayer. I think he gives us some reasons. Number one, he says, don't give up because there is too much at stake. There's too much at stake for you and I to give up on prayer. In fact, verse number one, Jesus said, you should always pray and not give up. That phrase, always pray, is reminding us that prayer is not something we should do. Rather, prayer is something we must do. He said, you should, you, you should always pray. You must always pray. You need to keep praying and never give up. I think the meaning is clear here. When he says you should always pray and not give up, it, it almost goes without saying that if you don't pray, guess what happens? You're giving up. Because if you're praying, you're not giving up. But if you're giving up, you're not praying. Have you ever felt like your prayers are ineffective? They're, they're not being effective. You thought to yourself, man, I might as well just quit praying. I've been praying for this and praying for this and praying for this and over and God hasn't answered and God hasn't done anything. Man, I'm tired of praying for it. I'm just going to give up. Maybe you've been praying for a prodigal child and praying that they'll come back to God and come back to you. And you've been praying for years and years and years and you're just saying, man, God, you've not answered that prayer. I'm just going to quit praying. George Mueller the founder of a great Christian orphanage work in England in the 1800s. He, he was a very powerful, powerful man of prayer. Um, if you read his life, you read his story, I mean, he prayed and prayed and prayed. I mean, he would, he would at point with sitting down at the table with his kids in the orphanage and had nothing to eat. And he would pray, God, thank you for the food that you're providing for us. And there's no food on the table. And then right after that, there'd be a knock on the door and and there'd be somebody out there said, man, we got all this bread left over. You want it? Or there'd be a milk tra uh, wagon that broke down and they had to get rid of the milk. I mean, God was always answered. So he was praying and praying. But he tells a story that when he was young, he began praying for some good friends of his, that they would get saved. And he began praying for them day in and day out and day in and day out. And he prayed for both of these men for over 60 years. One of the men was converted shortly uh, before his death. It was probably the last sermon, the last uh, service that Mueller had held. And then the other one was saved within a year of his death. What do you think would have happened if George Mueller would have given up praying for those two guys? Over 60 years he prayed that God would save them. If after a few years he said, well, God, you're not doing it. I'm just, I'm done. I'm giving up. Now, would they have still gotten saved? We don't know. They might have. But George Mueller, what he, the point is, he's saying, look, you should always pray and never give up. Keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. Because God is listening. God is there. 
Jesus introduces us to a couple of characters in this story. The first one is this judge. He introduces this judge first. And in verse 2, he says that there was this judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. He wasn't moved by fear of God. He wasn't moved by compassion for people. He could have cared less what people thought. In fact, if we were in today, we'd say, man, he doesn't care for anything. He doesn't care whatsoever. And so to understand the history of this story, we need to understand the setting of this story. Because when Jesus tells this parable to us, we don't understand this. But if in this culture, they would have understood exactly what Jesus was talking about. Warren Wearsby, who was a pastor but also wrote a commentary series. If you go to the Christian bookstore, it's called the B-Series by Warren Wearsby. Um, He put this in there on his commentary on Luke. He said, the courtroom was not a fine building, but it was a tent that was moved from place to place. Um, The judge, not the law, set the agenda. And this judge would sit regally in his tent, surrounded by all of his assistants. And anybody could watch the proceedings from the outside of the tent, but only those who were approved and accepted could have their case heard. And this usually meant you had to bribe somebody. You had to bribe one of his assistants to be able to be able to get in to let the judge hear your case. Unfortunately, this is kind of still true in a lot of third world countries today. You got to be you got to bribe the. The, the officials to be able to let them hear you and stuff. And so Jesus is he's setting this stage saying, look, this is who this lady's dealing with. She's dealing with a guy who could care less about people. He's not concerned really about what they're going through. All he's concerned about is, do you got money? And if you got money and you can bribe me, I'll hear your case. And so this is the situation this lady's finding herself in. And so before he even starts this, Jesus is saying, look, Because of this, because of what's happening, this is why you pray and you never give up. There's a lot at stake. Listen, for you and I, there's a lot at stake when we pray. Prayer is ushering us into the presence of God. And when we're praying for people, when we're praying for loved ones, when we're praying for certain things, those usually are important things. That's why we're praying for them. And Jesus is saying it's too important. There's too much at stake for you and I to quit praying. Just because we don't see it happening in our time. Remember, our timing and God's timing is totally different. For us, praying for years and years and years for something to God may be that quick. Because time is different. God doesn't live in our time frame. He doesn't live in our sphere of time where he's he's, um, stuck by the hands on the clock. God isn't that way. And so... For God, there is no time. And so when he's answering our prayers, it may be years for us, but for God, it's immediate for him. And so there's too much at stake. So don't give up because there's too much at stake. Secondly, don't give up when circumstances seem to be against you. Things can be against you. This woman had stuff against her. This judge didn't care about anybody. He didn't fear God. He didn't fear people. He had nothing And so we're introduced to her in verse number three, and it says, there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with this plea, grant me justice against my adversary. There's a lot at stake in her life. She needs justice, but she's dealing with a judge who could care less about people. And so Jesus is saying, don't give up even when things seem to be against you. Now, we we don't know what the issues were. 
We don't know what she was facing, but we know it had to be important enough and meaningful enough because of what she does. It, it had to be something important in her life because of the way she was responding. She has a real need for justice, and unfortunately, the odds were not in her favor. Number one, she was a woman. Already, already against her. Number two, she was a widow. A woman at this time, and especially a widow, pretty much had no rights. They had no rights. In fact, their testimony in court was often considered invalid because they were a woman. If, if a woman and a man had the exact same testimony, they would take the man's over the woman's because the woman was evidently not educated, not smart enough, not bright enough to know exactly what was going on. This is the way they treated This was the culture in which it was. So widows were often oppressed. They were often taken advantage of. Now, unfortunately, it wasn't just in that time period. Even all the way back in Isaiah's day, this was going on. Because Isaiah wrote this in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless, that's the orphans. And plead the case of the widow. So even Isaiah was telling those in Israel, look, y'all have been oppressing the widows. Y'all have been taking advantage of the widows and taking advantage of the orphans. And you need to learn to do right. You need to seek justice. And then in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 23, a few verses later, he said, your rulers are rebels. They're partners with thieves. They all love bribes and they all chase after gifts. They do not defend the cause of the fatherless. The widow's case does not come before them. So this wasn't just something that was happening only in Jesus' day. This was something that was a history of the culture that they oppressed the widows. They oppressed the orphans. They did not look out for them. And so the way a woman would get justice for herself was she would have to have her husband go to court for, for her. Now, if she was a widow, as in this case, then normally what would happen is a man of uh, the, the, the closest male relative would then stand in for her on her behalf, go to court on her behalf, share her grievances, share the problems she was having. All, uh, uh, obviously, this woman had neither. She was a widow, and obviously she had no male relative nearby or close enough because she is handling it herself. And so she, had, uh, she didn't have a lot going for her because of all of these things. She was a woman, and she was a widow. And the chance of her getting justice was going to require a miracle the problem is the miracle was in the hands of a corrupt judge. The miracle was in the hands of a judge who could care less about people, and she had no money to bribe him. She had no money to give him to be able to hear her case. He was the one that had the power to make it happen. And so armed with that thought alone, she proceeds to bombard the judge with her request. She just keeps going after him and going after him and going after him and going after him. And, and we, again, we don't know the circumstances of her adversary, we don't know how he was oppressing her, we don't know what he was doing to her, but obviously what he was doing was unjust. And so as hopeless as this situation seemed, as hopeless and as dire as it seemed, she was persistent. In fact, the language of verse 3, where it says that um, she kept coming to him, is in the present verb tense indicating every day, constantly, over and over again, she was coming to this judge, begging him for help. 
she, in, in, and the thought is that she was doing it not just outside the tent where the judge was, but maybe as he left for the day and was going wherever, when he would come and gather with his friends, she would be close by hollering, I want justice! I need help. When he was with his family, she would be hollering. I mean, she was pestering him and bugging him and bothering him day in, day out. Because she thought my only option was to keep asking the judge to help me. I, I have no other alternative. I have no other way to get justice. And I think in the same way, we have to, we have, to have this mindset when it comes to prayer that we can't let circumstances keep us from praying. That when things happen in our life, when, when things come up and we don't want to pray, that's when we have to pray. That's when we have to buckle down and we got to pray hard and we got to pray through because circumstances should not determine whether we pray or not. We should pray just the same as when things are going good, as when things are going bad. And I, I think sometimes the problem is when things are going good, we, we tend to... to Slack off on our prayer. And can I say this? Prayer at mealtimes is not prayer time. I, I mean, it's not. When you're just saying, Lord, I'm not that that's not important. We need to thank God for how he blesses us. I told Catherine sometimes, I said, you know, sometimes I feel like just praying at the meal, it's like repetition. We just pray. I said, maybe we ought to, when we buy groceries and put them up, just pray over the pantry once. And because we pray for everything and then we don't got to pray every little meal. But um, you know, it's, it, it's still, it's not a big deal praying, but that when people say, well, I pray three times a day. Well, you know, a short 15 second prayer is not praying. Yes, that's important. We want to thank God, but sometimes we, we think that's our prayer time until some desperate situation, situation happens. And then all of a sudden we fall on our knees and we're crying out to God. And sometimes, and I know God doesn't do this. But sometimes in my mind, I think God wants to say to us, why come to me now? I wasn't important enough for you to come to me before. So now you're in a desperate situation. You're going to come. But like this widow, it's in those desperate situations that we find that's all we have left. I, I think it's so funny because th this happens in a lot of places, a lot of people, a lot, even, a lot, even churches have done this. You know, they, they, they try to do things and fix things. And then at the end, they say, well, I guess we can pray now. I'm like, that's got nothing left. We've tried everything else. Prayer should be the very first thing we do, not the last thing. And so circumstances, even when they seem to be against us, we need to be praying. We need to fall on our knees no matter what the circumstances are and pray and pray and pray. Thirdly, he said, don't give up because the answer may be just around the corner. The answer could be just around the corner. You know, there's too much at stake to quit praying. Don't let circumstances determine when you pray or don't pray. But when you're praying, understand this. God's answer may be just around the corner. What if you stopped one day before God answered that prayer? And, and, and in God's mind was like, well, if, he, if you'd have prayed one more day, I would have answered it. The answer was coming, but you stopped too short. Look at verses 4 and 5. He says, for some time he refused. The judge refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God, and even though I don't care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come 
and attack me. This judge finally became weary of her constant petitions, of her constant going after him day after day after day. And, and it says he kept refusing. He kept putting her off. He kept ignoring her, but she kept coming. She didn't stop. She kept coming one day, two days, three days. And he says, she is bothering me. She is pestering me. I mean, talk about being rude. Talk about being bold. I mean, she didn't care. She was going to let him know what was going on in her life. And she was praying. She was Boldly crying out to him. Remember what I said in week one? Bold prayers honor God because God honors bold prayers. God wants us to come and be bold and pray to him and pray bold prayers. It's amazing how many times Jesus was interrupted when he was teaching or when he was doing things to perform miracles. People would come to him and say, we need help. We need this. We need that. It was interrupting Jesus, but Jesus was okay with the interruptions because it was there to help people. John Wesley, the great reformer, in his diary, wrote these notes down. He said, Sunday morning, May 5th, I preached at St. Anne's. I was asked not to come back anymore. Sunday p.m., May 5th, I preached at St. John's. Deacon said, get out and stay out. Sunday a.m. May 12th, I preached at St. Jude's. Can't go back there either. Sunday p.m. May 12th, I preached at St. George's. Kicked out again. Sunday a.m. May 19th, preached at St. somebody else's. Can't even, he didn't even know where he preached. Um, Deacons called special meeting and said I couldn't return. Sunday p.m. May 19th, preached on the street, kicked off the street. Sunday a.m. May 26th, preached in a meadow, chased out of a meadow as a bull was turned loose during the service. Sunday a.m. June 2nd, preached out at the edge of town, I was kicked off the highway. Sunday p.m. June 2nd, afternoon service, I preached in a pasture, 10,000 people came to hear me. See, he never gave up, even though he kept getting kicked out, kicked out, kicked out for weeks and weeks. Everywhere he preached, don't come back, don't come back, don't come back. He kept preaching, he kept preaching, he kept preaching because he knew God would answer his prayer. He knew God would answer him being able to preach to people. And he finally ends up almost three weeks later, almost a month later, actually in a pasture and 10,000 people come to see him and to hear the message of Jesus Christ. Listen, don't give up. The answer may just be around the corner. Sometimes, I mean, if John Wesley would, after the first couple of weeks, when every time he preached, someone said, hey, you can't come back. You can't preach here anymore. We don't like your message. If he had said, well, Lord, nobody wants me. Nobody likes me. I guess I ought to quit. Then those 10,000 people never would have heard the message of Jesus Christ. See, sometimes we've got to pray hard and pray through because we never know when that answer is going to come. We never know what's just around the corner but I love the fourth reason Jesus says don't give up is because he always keeps his promises. Jesus always keeps his promises. He will never renege on a promise. We do that. 
Sometimes we'll promise something and we'll forget about it or we don't follow through. But can I tell you, if Jesus makes a promise in Scripture, he will always fulfill that promise. He never goes back on his word because the Bible says God is truth and in him there is no lie. He cannot lie. It is a possibility for God to lie. So if he says he's going to do something, he will do it. Look what he said in verses 6 through 8. The Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Can I say to you this morning, don't equate, don't make the mistake of equating delay with a denial. Sometimes we think if God doesn't answer immediately, then he said no. Listen, just because we don't get an answer right away doesn't mean God has said no. Maybe God's just seeing how long are they going to pray for this? How long are they going to stay faithful? Are, are, are we going to find faith on the earth? Are they going to be faithful in prayer? Jesus made the application there in verse 7. He said, will not God bring about justice? Will if this judge being bothered by this woman, will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? As we cry out to him day and night, will God keep putting us off? No. Now, look, Jesus is not comparing God to an unjust judge. Now, don't walk away thinking that, well, Jesus is comparing God the Father with this judge saying, you know, this woman pestered this judge and he gave in. So if we pester God, God's eventually going to do what we want him to do. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. What he is making is this point by contrast. He's saying if this unjust judge who doesn't care about people, who doesn't fear God, if eventually he will give the right decision based on that circumstance because she kept bothering him, how much more will a loving father who cares for you, who, who wants the very best for you, how much more if you keep praying to him, will he give you the answer? Will he follow through on that? He's saying if this if this this widow woman can get this uncaring judge to answer her request by being persistent, by having perseverance. How much more should we expect that God, our righteous judge, who does care for us, will answer our request? It's not new with us. I think believers throughout history, especially when you get into the New Testament after we really began praying earnestly to God, I think all believers have struggled with sometimes the seeming silence of God in their prayers. Jesus made that statement in verse 8, I tell you, he will see that you get justice and he'll see that you get it quickly. Now, how do we reconcile this promise with the fact that sometimes our prayers don't seem to be answered immediately. As I said, George Mueller played for over 60 years for his friends to get saved. How is God answering that immediately? How is God doing that quickly? Here's how. The moment we begin to pray, the moment we start praying to God, and God hears our prayers, and God hears our requests, if it is in his will for him to answer that in the positive, God begins working on that immediately. 
Now, we may not see the effects of it immediately, but God begins to work in that situation immediately. We may not see it that day, but eventually we will see it one day. J. Kirk Johnston, writing in a book, Why Christians Sin, tells the story of Roger Sims. He said Roger Sims was hitchhiking his way home um, from the army, and he would never forget this day, May 7th. He was lugging around his heavy suitcase. He was in his army uniform, just been discharged from the army, ready to get home. And he was on the side of the road hitchhiking. And you, tell, you can tell this is how long ago this has been because we don't tend to do that. People used to pick up hitchhikers back 40, 60 years ago. But he, he was just coming in and he, he saw a car begin to slow down and come up. And he thought, oh, I'm going to get a ride. But then he saw the car and it was a brand new black shiny Cadillac. And he thought, man, they're not going to let me in that car. But the guy pulled up beside him, threw open the passenger door, said, get on in. So he put his suitcase in the back seat, sat down, and the guy said, you headed to Chicago? And he said, well, not quite that far, headed in that direction. He said, why, do you live in Chicago? And he says, well, yes. He goes, I'm a successful businessman. I have a business in Chicago, and I'm on my way back. He said, my name is Hanover. And after talking about many things, Roger, who was a Christian, um, felt a compassion to witness to Mr. Hanover. But he kept putting it off, and he kept putting it off, and they began just small talk about other things. And then he realized he was only about 30 minutes from where he was going to be dropped off to his house. So he finally said, okay, Mr. Hanover, I want to talk to you about something very important. And he began to witness to him about Jesus Christ ultimately asking Mr. Hanover if he would like to receive Christ as his Savior. To, to the astonishment of Roger, all of a sudden he whipped the car over to the side of the road and Roger thought in his mind, man, he's kicking me out. He doesn't like what he, I have to say. But he said when he got over to the side of the road, he gripped the steering wheel and began to sob and he began to weep. And there on the side of the road on May 7th, Mr. Hanover gave his life to Jesus Christ. And Roger says in the story, he said, that was the greatest thing that I had ever seen happen. Five years later, Roger is married. He's got a two-year-old son. He's got a business of his own, and he's packing his suitcase, and he's headed to Chicago on a business trip, and he, he, he finds this old white business card of Mr. Hanover's, and he thinks, well, I'm, I'm going to be in Chicago, so I'm going to look up Mr. Hanover." So he gets in Chicago and he looks up Hanover Enterprises and he goes up to the receptionist and the receptionist, he, he goes up to the receptionist and said, I'd like to see Mr. Hanover. And she said, well, it's impossible to see Mr. Hanover, but you can see his wife. And a little confused, he, he's ushered into an office, a nice plush office, beautifully decorated, and in comes a, a lady in her 50s, a nice looking lady, Mrs. Hanover. And tells her how he said, I wanted to stop by and just thank your husband because five years ago, he gave me a ride. I was just discharged from the army and I was on my way home and he gave me a ride and I just wanted to say thank you. Could, could I possibly see him? And she said, well, what day was that? And he said, May 7th. And she began to sob. And as he was talking, he thought, well, sh should I tell her that he got saved? I mean, I, I don't know. So he said, well, I'm already here. I mean, if it upsets her more, I'll just tell So he said, well, I also wanted to let you know that when I was with your husband that day, 
He said, I, I witnessed to him, and he accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior. And I, I just wanted to see how he was doing. Could I, could I see him? And she said, no, you can't. My husband's dead. She said, you see, he died on May 7th in a car accident. He never made it home that day. She said, I'd been praying for years that God would save my husband. And he died, and I didn't know if he was saved. She goes, and five years ago, I gave up on God. I quit going to church because I thought God did not answer my prayer. And she said, now you're standing before me telling me my husband got saved. Listen, God always answers our prayers. We may not see the answer, but he always keeps his promise. That last phrase in verse 8 says, where Jesus says, will he find faith on the earth? Seems like a strange way to end this parable. Will he find faith on the earth? What does he mean by that? Well, again, you have to go back to what I said at the very beginning. In chapter 17, he was talking about the second coming of Christ. He was talking about what it would be like during the second coming. And, and leading up to that, um, the Jews had been praying for the coming of the Messiah for years they just didn't realize that there would be a separation between his first coming where he came as a lamb to be offered up for the sins of the world to his second coming when he had come as a lion to set up his kingdom. They thought it was one and the same. They thought he was coming to be the ruler. They thought he was coming to set up his kingdom then. And so Jesus is teaching them about his second coming and, and what is true of that where he tells them, no man knows the day, no man knows the hour. We don't know when Jesus is coming. But he's encouraging them to keep praying, to continue praying for that to happen. Now, that seems strange for us to pray for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, the, the end of Revelation, John the Revelator wrote this, even so, Lord, come quickly. When he's writing about all the future events that's going to transpire during the tribulation and the end of the world, and he writes at the end of that, when he finishes his letter, he says, even so, Lord, come quickly. We're ready. We're praying. We want you to come now. And we know that's been almost 2,000 years ago. Men have been praying. So why does Jesus want us to continue praying for his return? Why does he want us to continue praying? Because he understands this. If we don't pray for his return, and if we don't hold on to that, that he is coming back, that he is going to fulfill that promise one day to take us to heaven, to take us to be with him. If we don't believe that, we don't pray about that, he says, you're going to give up. You're going to get discouraged. You're going to get depressed. And he said, as long as you keep praying, as long as you keep focusing on me, you will have your faith strengthened. Let me ask you, are you prepared to receive the promise There's a lot of people that are not seeking God. There's a lot of people that will not be ready when the trumpet blows. And they're going to miss out on the miracle of the second coming of the return of Jesus Christ. Look, there are, there are so many promises that has, God has for us in this book. And we can pray over every one of those promises. That's why it's so important to pray hard and to pray through because we never know we never know when that prayer is going to get answered. And we may just stop one day too soon. You know, our thought is, un until you get a definite no from God, we just keep praying. As long as it takes. As long as it takes. Because God is faithful. He may not do it in our timing. 
He will do it in his timing. When the timing is right, he will make it happen quickly. And when that happens, I want to make sure that I'm seeking him. I want to make sure that I'm placing my feet in the right direction so that I can receive the promises, so that I can be where God wants me to be, doing what God wants me to do. We have to seek the Lord. We have to pray hard. We have to pray through until God comes through. Just because you don't have an answer doesn't mean we stop praying. Until there's no hope for that situation, we pray. My mom, stage four cancer, doctor said there is no cure. She is going to die with cancer. That is, am I just taking that and saying, okay, well, that's it, God. No, I am praying for God to heal her. And I will pray that until either she's healed on this earth or she's healed in heaven. But I will pray that every day, God, heal her. I'm not going to say, well, God, the doctor said she can't be healed, so... There's nothing you can do. Might as well just quit praying. I mean, she's going to die eventually anyway. I mean, almost 88 years old. She's lived a long life. I mean, my prayer is this. And you may say, man, you're heartless. But this is how I pray. God, heal my mother. Heal her of this disease. Heal her of this pain. But God, if you choose not to heal her, then take her home. Because I don't want to see her suffer. I don't want her to live for another year in the pain and what she's going through now. If, if it's not going to get any better, I would rather say, God, just take her home right now. She's lived a long life. Not that I'm like, I don't want to see my mother ever again, but I know I'll see her again. But I love her enough. I don't want her to suffer just so I can say, well, my mom's still around, so I can go visit her. But until God gives me an answer one way or another, I'm going to keep praying. Doesn't matter what science says. Doesn't matter what medical people say. I'm going to pray until God answers that prayer one way or another. Now, when God answers that prayer, if he heals her, I'm not going to pray that anymore. If he heals her on the earth, I'm not going to pray. Obviously, he heals her in heaven. I don't need to pray for her. She's better off than I am. So it's praying hard and praying through. I want to share one quick passage as we close this morning. That I think drives this thought of being ready home to receive the promises of God. Jeremiah 29 says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years, this is talking about that Jeremiah's prophesying that the Jerusalem, that the Jews will go into Babylonian captivity because of their disobedience to God. He says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and I will fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. God told them, you're going to be there for 70 years and I'm going to bring you back home. He says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then, Jeremiah says, you will call on me. You will come. You will pray to me. I will listen to you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with your heart. And I think that's still true today. If you seek God with your heart, you will find him. When you pray to God, you will, he will call out to you. He will answer you. Verse 14 says, I will be found by you if you seek me, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I've banished you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Listen, God gave them a promise. This was a promise specifically for Israel. 
or for Jerusalem and the Jews saying, look, I am banishing you, I am exiling you, but I will tell you this, in 70 years, I'm going to make it possible for you to come back. I'm going to make it possible for you to come back into this land that I exiled you from. And when you come back in, I want you to cry out to me. I want you to pray to me. I want you to seek me with your whole heart. Because if you do that, I will listen. And if you do that, you will find me. I will be there. Now, that was a specific promise for Jerusalem and Jews. And God fulfilled that promise. Can I tell you, God has promises for you and promises for me. And he will fulfill it. We, we may not have this specific promise where we get back into a land, but I think the portion of that promise that says, if you cry unto me, if you pray unto me, I will listen. If you seek me, I, you will find me. I think that's a promise that applies to you and I today. And so I want to encourage you, don't give up on prayer. I know sometimes it can get discouraging. I know sometimes it, it, it can be disheartening, but can I say this? Don't give up on prayer just because God doesn't answer it the way you want it to be answered. That's what, that's what causes so many people. That's what Ted Turner said that. I, I prayed until God didn't heal my sister, and then I quit praying. I gave up on God. You know why? Because God didn't do what I wanted God to do. But God is, God is not a genie. God is not one where we can rub the Bible and make a prayer, and he's going to do it the way we want it answered. That's why scripture says, when you pray, is it in the will of God, he will answer it. If you pray according to my will, I will answer it. It's all according to God's will. So I want to encourage you, pray hard and pray through. Don't give up on prayer. If you haven't seen God answer the prayers you've been praying for, keep praying. Keep praying. Be persistent. Be like this widow and just keep praying and keep praying and keep praying. And eventually, God, Jesus said, he will hear and he will answer you quickly. He will listen to you and he will put things in motion for that prayer to be answered one way or another. We just can't give up. We just have to keep trusting. Maybe you're here this morning and you haven't been praying. Maybe you, you haven't prayed like you know you should and why challenged us to begin a 21-day prayer challenge that says for 21 days we're going to pray, we're going to pray, we're going to pray. You know why it's 21 days? Because they say usually it takes about that long for a habit to, to form. You, you, you got to spend time doing something over and over to make it a part of your life so that you do it always. And so it's, it's a habit we form. It has to be something we learn to do. So I want to encourage you Get involved. If you haven't started, start now and go 21 days and then you'll see how God can keep going and keep going and keep going. But it's all about praying hard and praying through and being persistent and having perseverance in our prayer life. Father, we ask you this morning that you would help us. God, that you would help us to pray through and to pray hard and not give up. Don't give up on our prayer life. Don't give up on what you would have us to pray for. But let us stay faithful to you. God, I don't know what everybody in this room this morning are praying for. I don't know what those that will be watching on video are praying for. But I pray that they would be persistent. That they would, be, they would persevere and they would keep praying and keep praying until they know they have an answer from you. Don't give up. 
because too much is at stake. And, and circumstances should not determine how we pray. And God, the answer could be just around the corner if we don't give up. But we know this, God. You are faithful. You will keep your promises. So let us hold on to that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.